0: off the ball
1: andy farrell was almost giddy yeah at yeah. the late with he the wants r- everything thrown yeah. at them. He as was, much as possible like, this, this is per- i couldn't have planned this yes, better this could happen maybe
0: in the he world did world. subscribe to the rugby stream on the otb sports app now the sunday papers on off the ball
1: now you're welcome back sunday paper review so, I'll run you through the back pages. Naturally, you won't be surprised to see Messi's picture features in quite a few of them after last night. Messi puts Argentina back in the hunt, says Mail on Sunday. Beneath that, Southgate under fire. Pressure, says the Mail on Sunday, mounts on Garrett Southgate to explain Phil Foden's continued omission from his starting lineup. Sunday Times, again, it's Messi. The Magic's back. Messi celebrating after a strike. Messi strike sets up Argentina win over Mexico. Beneath that, very interesting story. I hope Wayne Pivac doesn't get the Sunday Times delivered because breakfast will be tense. Pivac on the brink as Wales, I return of Warren Gatland. We were just saying there before the ad break, Warren Gatland has been the paper over the many cracks in Welsh rugby over the last uh, 15 years. Years or so, and now it seems that as uh, things hit another low point, Warren Gatland being lined up says Stefan Thomas here for a sensational return as Wales head coach after Wayne Pivac ended 2022 with a mere three wins from 12 games. So he says Wayne Pivac's job hanging by a thread after his side let slip a 21-point lead against a severely depleted Australian side. If a deal is agreed. It will initially be an interim appointment to take Wales through to the World Cup next year. It seems there was a WRU board meeting in secret last week to discuss the coaching situation after Wales lost to Georgia. And now it seems full steam ahead to approach Warren Gatland, which is just incredible. Uh, we have the front page of the Sunday Independent, Rory McElroy, up close and personal. So it's an uh, intimate portrait there of Rory McElroy, Paul Kimmage, part one exclusive pages two to seven inside. So that's very much taking centre stage on their front page. And then Sunday World Sport. A lot of England stories really on the back pages here. Harry's pain. So um, Harry Kane, the senses from various pundits urging Gareth Southgate to rest him. So England manager Gareth Southgate urged to leave Harry Kane out of the next World Cup game says Alan Shearer, etc. We have Mad for it. That's uh, James Madison up and running to give three lines huge boost. So he's working his way back from injury. That's the Sunday mirror today. They also have that picture of Messi. Messi saves Argies. Then the star bottle of Britain, Gareth. We won't let the side down against Wales. So they play Wales, obviously, next up Tuesday. England pretty much through. I think if they avoid a 4-0 defeat, they'll sail through. Uh, Wales, obviously, in dire straits and need to beat England. England. And hope for favours elsewhere. And then the Sun, they have Luke back in anger. That's Luke Shaw. I'd forgotten all about this. Um, the video of the Welsh players celebrating England losing to Iceland in 2016 has surfaced ahead of this game on Tuesday. And so um, Luke Shaw says, it wasn't nice. <laughs> <laughs> Profound. Strong words from Shaw. Uh, so uh, Luke back in anger maybe, the headline there
2: maybe asked was it nice
1: yes indeed uh, we have a picture of Mbappe celebrating this guy's going to be the star isn't he I mean is just uncontainable at the moment he's electric so Mbappe days France 2 Denmark 1 and happy days Lionel Messi scoring very happy to say we have Dion Fanning here from The Currency to my left and Sarah O'Donovan here in studio as well All-Ireland Camogie winner played for Cork and Dublin and now a one-man operation at Nave Marnog <laughs> uh, managing their Camogie team So you're both very welcome. Thanks, Joe. Let's talk about the World Cup, I guess. Messi on all the front pages. So Messi magic, for instance, the Sunday Times match report talks about Messi here on page four. This is David Walsh and he opens by saying there are things that are meant to happen, things that are not meant to happen. How could Lionel Messi's World Cup be over after just two rounds of the group stages? Uh, The match-changing moment came almost out of nothing. Another seemingly unthreatening Argentina attack. The ball going to Di Maria, wide on the right. Di Maria had been uh, one of his team's better performers. He saw Messi just standing outside the penalty area and in a little space. And on they go. He says of the uh, celebration, and I think it's quite true, the outpouring afterwards, each Argentina face betrayed the strain of the occasion. Uh, Imagine you could come into a tournament with a 36-match unbeaten run as Copa America champions and then be compelled to remain at the World Cup for a fixture that for them would have no meaning if they'd been knocked out last night and had to stay on for the uh, third game. So there was like this outpouring of relief uh, when Messi scored. It was an atrocious game. There were fouls every 20 seconds. It was just tense uh, right the way through and then Messi does his thing.
3: I think they were embarrassed though Going into the game, because obviously you'd heard that the Saudis had gotten Rolls Royces for beating them, you know, three days previously. I didn't hear that. Yes. Each. One each. Well, they're hardly driving it around together. Oh
1: my God. <laughs> Even the subs. <laughs> well, The a squad game, Joe. It sure is. I hadn't heard that.
3: That's one of the, I suppose, things that I had heard and I was thinking, God, if you're Messi going into this game uh, and, you know, they, they say here they need the stakes. How could they not rise to the occasion on the evening that Messi equals Diego Maradona's record of 21 games at the World Cup? Mm. And obviously, Maradona's jersey was bought for seven, was a £7 million and, it's, you know, it's, it's shrouded there. And Argentina going out so early would have made a mockery of, of everything that had come before. So certainly the stakes were high, I will agree.
1: Yeah. You watched the game? I loved it. Ah, oh, I
2: loved <laughs> it. I'm sorry. Um, I uh, I thought the first half was so s- astonishingly bad that it was like <laughs> this. This is a real World Cup game. This is important. This is important. They're just fa- you know f- fouls every twenty five seconds. Yeah. Nothing happening. Argentina looking terrible. Like Argentina <clears throat> are such a. Fascinating World Cup side, and that hasn't changed because of this. Because you know the the way they've celebrated this result Mm. also just shows you like how like the mood swings in the team. Like there is no stability, no consistency, no expectation. They are the most neurotic. The most neurotic team around, and everything is you know. And they come into this World Cup, and everyone is saying, well, they are favorite. You know, one of the favorites. Thirty-six games unbeaten. And then after one game, you're like, how do these guys say 36 games unbeaten? Mm.
1: There was a point in commentary where Ray Houghton just said, I don't see it. This 36 game <laughs> Cup of America, I, I don't see it. Yeah. And it was hard to see it last night.
3: But well, having watched the Saudi Arabia game in such detail last week, I was lucky I got to watch it and work at lunch last week. The IT guys are coming into their own in our offices. <laughs> uh, they have screens up everywhere. But the intensity that Saudi played with last week and the kind of players on the line and last gap, I think, was almani with the header, you know, off the line. And mm. Argentina had no response to that.
1: Yeah, physically, they were completely outdone.
3: Yes. And it, they made Saudi look really athletic yeah. and physical and intense. And as you say, you know, they've come out with a completely different mindset this time around and, and battled it out.
2: But the different mindset was even there between the first half and the second half. Something seemed to switch. Almost immediately in the second half, and the substitutions helped too, mm. but suddenly um Messi was getting into those spaces you know he had that he had that run that he was fouled uh, and hit a very tame free kick, but immediately there was this sense that he was he was getting into positions that he hadn't been yeah he was getting, peripheral yeah he was totally pass. peripheral yeah and there's a really good piece by. Sid Lowe in the uh, Guardian, or I suppose it's probably in the Observer, yeah. uh, about about that, and he talked about Di Maria, and I think the Argentina, Argentina players stayed in the dressing room for, as I said, an hour afterwards, where they came out, and uh, Di Maria was asked about that pass to Messi, and he said, "I threw him, a, I threw him a turd, but he always, but he always finds solution to everything." And then there's a there's a line that Sid Lowe quotes from Jose Luis Mendelbar. who came up with with this line to describe the Argentina captain. He parks better than anyone, he says. And there's an amazing clip, which I think has actually now been taken down. There was a clip going around last night of an overhead camera that just had the Mexico half at the point of of Messi's goal or in the build-up to Messi's goal. And there's an extraordinary sequence because it's all building up and it's going down the left as you're looking at it from above. And at one point... I just looked at it again. I looked up a few times. At one point, everybody in the shot, because it's the Mexico half, everybody in the shot is moving, mm. except one person. Yeah. Everyone is moving. The referee is moving. The Mexico goalkeeper is, is moving. And, Me- and Messi is just standing still. And he says, and Di Maria said that Messi came up to him and said, they're dropping deeper and deeper. And just wait. Yeah. And so he stopped. Everyone else kept moving, and he stopped. And then Di Maria found him, mm. and that was the difference. And then everything transformed. Mm. And it was an extraordinary, uh, like a, again, that insight. And It seemed to take even longer. You know, we all know this thing about Messi and how long he, t- you know, he, used always take five, ten, fifteen minutes at the beginning of a game to kind of adjust his sort of, you know, calibrate the opposition and calibrate the, the feel of it. Now maybe it's taking, maybe it's taking a whole half for him to do it
3: it's interesting with the I suppose the technology that's there now you'd be surprised if there wasn't a heat map which shows his preferred positions that Mm. the better teams or the more technically advanced teams have now said you'll find him in this pocket predominantly put a player there to screen him off and if they're not they should be but you know if that's the position that he likes to take up then it seems to be naive not to know these things about him at this point in his career
1: yeah they did switch off for a minute he's just so adaptable I think that's a that's an instructive line that he sensed they were dropping deeper so I'll sit in the hole and mm. wait, whereas I suspect if they were pressing up high, he might have found another solution. I mean, yeah.
3: another heat bath to show where he thinks yeah. that happens. Mm.
1: And it is an amazing thing. I was there eight years ago at the World Cup and I do remember it being at the Iran game where Argentina couldn't find a breakthrough and he came up with a moment of magic and they won the game 1-0 and Maradona was in the stand. So you spent the game watching either Messi yeah. or Maradona dictating the song of choice at a given moment, and it is quite something to watch Messi just stand. And the whole stadium is watching him. It's yeah. this weird, like, oh, yeah. This this kind of weird um, kind of atmosphere or dynamic where you're just watching him watch the game and waiting for him to do something.
3: That's what it's like with Ronaldo because I was at a game in Old Trafford in January and it was the same thing. Yeah. I was watching him be per- be peripheral, and wait to see his next move. Yeah, and that that's why they've always been aligned, I think, because yeah. we do watch them.
1: Uh, Jonathan Northcroft uh, is was at the France game, and for me, I mean, this was just. I loved this game. This was just amazing football. Like, he pitches it perfectly, I think. He says, it was a game of contrast. The Danes, with their possession style against world champions, masterful at breaking from a compact shape to demolish through explosive transitions. And there was that aspect to it that... Uh, Denmark kept the ball beautifully. Eriksen was doing his thing and they weren't toothless. They created chances and then France would get the ball and just explode. And he's this great description of France. If you didn't see the game, he said, France are like a cluster bomb uh, detonating from a tight grouping in the middle of the pitch into a spray of dangerous players. Mbappe flying to the left, Dembele whirling to the right, Griezmann, Rabiot, Giroud hurtling down the middle. Denmark didn't play badly in the first half, but they got to the interval happy not to have sustained damage. Such was the ferocity of the French blitzes and then Mbappe does his thing he calls him in this piece uncontainable and it just does feel like that with Mbappe so he's 23 years of age he has scored 30 goals this is his 6th and 7th World Cup goals last night so that puts him in rare company only Pele and Mbappe have scored 7 goals before the age of 25 like Messi scored 8 in 21 World Cup matches so what Mbappe is doing here is uh, freakish and I dare say we are going to remember this as his World Cup. I was saying to the, the guys in the newsroom, we've had a very um, healthy diet of Erling Haaland over the last couple of weeks and months and mm. really gorged on Erling Haaland and it's been uh, very enjoyable and he is devastating. But I think watching even just these two games, I think to myself, oh, okay, Mbappe is the greatest player in the world. He is the most complete devastating player in the world. Haaland's wonderful. You can't yeah. say anything bad about him. But Mbappe is just a, a more complete level of frightening.
3: Well Holt alludes to this because he says you know perhaps it has harmed Mbappe's ability to emerge from the giant shadow cast by Messi and Ronaldo that he's played his football in the comparative backwater of League One yeah. with PSG yeah. um, but when he reaches the big stage just as he did in Russia four years ago he has a habit of bestriding it Yeah Which.
2: Yeah. Well, I, that, that line jumped out at me too because uh, he's, he's in that backwater out of choice and out of you know it's PSG like it isn't, and like messy plays for people. You know, we're looking at the three of the biggest stars at the World Cup play in this backwater mm. because of the, the the whole the whole geopolitical aspect of football today, and you know the stuff we'll, we'll get to again about Qatar and which we, we've talked about endlessly in the run up to this World Cup. Yeah. But it is like it is an extraordinary line to say that he's playing in a backwater when he's playing for the richest club in the world.
1: Champions League knockout stages, he. Rises up, but yeah, we're but not but, but it's, he's right. The, like it is a
2: backwater. Like is, yeah. he is, he's completely right. Um, and we have a different. We we know Messi differently because of what he did when he was at Barcelona, mm. um, and there like there's there's no doubt about it that it is it is a different uh, it's a different thing, and you suddenly do feel not quite like we've all seen enough of Mbappe. It's not quite like World Cups of old where you were suddenly seeing players. That you had never seen before, yeah. but you are—you know—it is—it is—it is a kind of a different stage. And I thought that the interesting thing about last night, one of the little glimpses of Messi was when, when Christensen was bro- booked in the first half, and I he was really lucky mm. not to get sent off because there were two player, two Danish defenders beside him, but they weren't going to catch him either. They just happened to be—they were just providing—they were like sort of trees, you know, kind of <laughs> providing some cover. For, yeah. for the actual foul because Mbappe was going past them too but the referee somehow looked at this and said right
1: you're covering you're
2: covering Like even though he's mean.
1: made 15 yards on you <laughs> in about a second because Didier Man said at half time he was like well look you mean is the referee supposed to judge you know if, if it was Giroud is it a yellow and if it's Mbappe is it a red you know that's too much to decide no it's not it oh. was clearly a red he was I mean he by the time they you know he would have been 20 metres ahead of them by the time he would have shot yeah
2: no it was a red it was very lucky uh,
1: there's um, on the Argentinian neuroticism. There is something, though, about like when you've got such a star player like Mbappe, or I think especially in um, Argentina's case with Messi, there is something, as by the way, I think Belgium have just conceded opening goal against Morocco. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have 1 nil down at half time. There is something with the star players where even if they're not in a great position, their teammates feel like they have to give them the ball. It's always one of these interesting dynamics. And there's times where I think the better players are saying, oh, I was obviously a decoy here. You shouldn't have given it to me. Uh, but I feel like the burden on these Argentinian players with Messi, his last World Cup. There's something going on in that camp. They've just pitched up here and they're too emotionally raw or something.
2: But there's always been something going on in the camp with Messi. <laughs> That's true. Like this is the thing. Like it is such an illusion. And you know, Sarah talks about Ronaldo, and like we all see Ronaldo's narcissism in full flow, mm. and we think Messi is the. The antidote. The antidote. The lovely, humble. Uh,
3: hang on, and, he's know, after taking twenty-five million no, I know, I'm saying, from I'm Saudi saying, yeah. as to be an ambassador. Yeah, just like, a nice like, fellow. the
2: boy next door. <laughs> but like, but, but he's 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 calling all the shots. Like in the in the aftermath of the Saudi game, yeah. all the same stuff was coming out that that happened. You know, that happened last time. Happened every World Cup, and 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 I would say that some of that uh, neurotic nature of Argentina is because they're trying to. Do it for him. They're so trying to kind of yeah. cater to every, his every whim, and you know, I I also do think it's in, kind of interesting that they did. You know, part of the thirty six match unbeaten run is, is winning the Copa America during a kind of a COVID, uh, you know, COVID final in front of seven thousand people. I think it was in Brazil when it was moved from Argentina because of COVID, and it, almost like the perfect conditions for somebody like Messi who really likes to exercise his power mm. in the shadows it's like you know he actually was able to win this win this tournament finally win a major title for Argentina when there's nobody there there's nobody around mm. and that's you know his his personality is entirely different to Maradona's which is which was blunt and expressive but yet he has got an incredible ego he's got a huge ego and he is like I, I wouldn't wonder Joe if he's if he's saying to him don't pass
1: to me I'd say he's you know he thinks pass to me maybe not as much yeah. as you can mm. So I guess a segue there is uh, Joe Broly's been watching the World Cup as well and he notes I, I, like, with Messi I do have I was, I was saying to the guys during the week that I, heard, I, was, I was in a coffee shop and I, I was, I was ta- two guys were ahead of me and they were talking about the Arabia game and, and you know talking about what bets they were going to put on and how many Messi was going to score like Messi's ruined himself for me I took no joy last night watching Messi and a part of me thinks well start, just stopping being such a killjoy and enjoy the greatest player maybe of all time doing his thing at a World Cup level but Joe Brawley is writing here page 12 of Sunday Independent anchors and pundits all part of same hypocrisy we'll come back to his core point in a moment but later on he does talk about Lionel Messi meanwhile is Saudi's ambassador signing up to a reported $25 million a year. Ever since he has been telling his almost 400 million social media followers what a wonderful place it is, which it is unless you are a gay, trans, intellectual, a reformer, a woman, a social justice activist or a journalist, in which case you are likely to become one of the disappeared or, if you're lucky, be tortured and let go. But hey, they gave Lionel a lovely yacht and those sunsets are amazing from the deck. The pathetic truth is that these regimes know they can buy humans. And Messi uh, certainly did not need to be bought by anybody, but he made a choice this year to be bought by Saudi Arabia. And it's going to be interesting as they bid against Argentina for the World Cup in 2030, where his allegiances lie, because we don't know how long this deal is, but certainly there's talk of a 2030 vision as part of his relationship with Saudi Arabia. You know, even just in the last um, two weeks, Mohammed bin Salman has executed, or Saudi Arabia have executed, 12 men in 10 days for non-violent drug offences and this was after Ben Salman had said publicly that they were going to uh, bring down the numbers killed by sword and they were killed by sword where he's actually on course for a record-breaking year and this is the country messy for a reported 25 million when he's making 140 to 170 a year anyway, has chosen to align himself with. So I, I can't watch him do his thing last night and feel joy for him.
3: And actually, Saudi Arabia game last week at the final whistle, Saudi were obviously, you know, cheering. They went to the crowds. Myself and my housemates were standing there going, is there any women in the crowd? And that was the uncomfortable part for me. And it's, it's scanned to Western women holding Saudi flags. But I didn't see any women of Saudi Arabian descent in the crowds as well. And I was going, God, this is something else, which is a trigger for me outside of, you know, there's, there's a million things. But as a woman at this World Cup, it didn't feel like Saudi women were being represented. Mm. And that was an, another thing that just mm. geared, you know, I was going, God, why couldn't Argentina have won this and stopped the, stopped the rot, you know?
1: Yeah. Where are you on Messi and this business then? To what extent does this affect his legacy?
2: I think
3: it, it, it
2: damages his le- legacy hugely. But I also wonder at what point, and this isn't to try and, to to engage in any water battery, where do, what point do you decide that he's gone too far? Is when he plays for Qatari-owned PSG. Or when he switches over to become an ambassador for the division Vision Twenty Thirty, I feel Saudi. the latter. Do you? Do you I, think? I sort of think he can. Well, play like, yeah, for he, those, maybe,
1: yeah, maybe. Maybe as make an individual, that, when you pitch you can, up and yeah, no, I think it's your like, personal brand.
2: I do look at him and go, "How much money do you do you really need? Yeah. Like, what what are you doing?" And there is no. And like you read, and the the Atlanta get a very good piece about this during the week. And you Ronaldo, uh, for all his narcissism. Said to our, we don't know what reasons. I mean, Ronaldo might end up joining a Saudi Arabia club pretty soon. So he's resisted People, their approaches. Yeah, but they, they don't have. They're not. They can't offer him Champions League football. Yeah. Um, but anyway, he has turned it. He has turned down similar offers. And Messi is getting whatever he's getting, and it's uh, twenty five million a year, whatever. I know it does tarnish his legacy, and it 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 again feeds into this sense of. Um, but again, it, it feeds into the sense of what what we're watching at this World Cup. and As Sarah said, you know, the crowds, the every little bit of every little bit of petulance or nastiness that's reported back from from the hosts, um, it just feeds makes it feel a little bit. Again, just feeds into that sense that this is not uh, a, a a place for this tournament. And what Messi's doing, it definitely tarnishes his legacy. But again, it's, you know, I'm not, I actually shouldn't make a but there, but it is the same as Newcastle being owned by, by Saudi. All these things, all these elements of uh, nation states and petro-states getting involved in football yeah. um, tarnishes them. But
3: I wonder, is this the best thing for Ronaldo to go there? Because you see in the papers, Portugal and Ghana was practically empty. He goes there and he says, where's the adulation? If I go to Saudi, you know, am I going to have the crowds? Am I going to have the same adulation as I have in premiership? And maybe he decides to go to America instead because if he's looking for adulation at the end of a big career Mm. and he can't get Champions League football, it's not going to be found in Saudi.
1: not the most virtuous reason to pass on Saudi, but you could well be right, I suspect. Uh, We're going to take a short break. We'll come back to that Joe Broly piece. There's loads more to... Through on the World Cup front, and then there's Paul Kimmage's uh, chat with Roy McRoy, which is uh, full of interesting bits as well. Back in just a couple of months.
0: The Sunday Papers on Off the Ball. The Sunday Papers on Off the Ball. You're welcome, back.
1: We're going through the Sunday papers. We have uh, Sarah and Dion still with us, Sarah Donovan, Dion Fanning. So we were just uh, picking through the, the Joe Brawley piece in the Sunday Independent. And he had talked about Lionel Messi and his relationship with Saudi Arabia. It's a wider piece. He's talking really about the whole saga. And so he's talking about the 6,500 migrant workers who have died uh, reportedly, averaging 40 cent an hour in pay. The regime has spent 229 billion Dollars Second, by the way, in spend is Brazil, spent 19 billion. So where the 229 billion has gone, uh, I'd suspect it's an interesting question. And then talks about the Human Rights Watch documents on the various ills of the Qatari regime. I think most people fairly au fait with them at this stage. I mean, they're always still shocking to read when they're laid out fairly bluntly, like Qatar's morality police hunt gay and transgender people down as though they were a terrorist organisation. Suspects arrested, taken to an underground torture centre in Doha. Talks about the Qatari law, whereby a suspected LGBTQ plus person can be detained without charge or access to legal representation for up to six months. And then there's this uh, Human Rights Watch report, which is honestly just too graphic to read out for this time on the radio. And if you've got kids in the car, I'm conscious of that as well. But uh, somebody, I'll give the, the broad strokes. So A woman arrested, she was um, beaten, her face fractured, blindfolded, lost consciousness. When she came to, she was in a large concrete prison type building. She was forced to watch other gay and trans suspects being beaten. Uh, Another detained for two months in solitary confinement. Horrific things happened in solitary confinement. I'm sure you can use your imagination. Uh, Suspects only released when they sign a guarantee not to violate public morality and agreed to attend conversion therapy. So uh, Joe Broly outlines all that and he says, Roy Keane universally applauded last week for saying the World Cup shouldn't be here. He does say, and I do agree with this, I have to say, I have felt this, Roy Keane's been talked about as though he were Nelson Mandela or Mahatma Gandhi. And he says, like the English captain Harry Kane, who bravely decided not to wear the armband after being threatened with the yellow card, Roy decided to take the money and be a good boy, he says. I agree less so on that part, I have to say. I mean, I feel there is a difference between working for, for instance, in this case, ITV or BBC and working for B in sports, as Gary Neville is doing. I think you can draw that distinction. But I understand still where Joe Bradley comes from here. On the um, Roy Keane being talked about as though he were Nelson Mandela, like even the front page here at the Sunday Independent, even Brendan O'Connor's piece, Roy Keane somehow the moral compass of the world. He says, in other news, Roy Keane's become the moral compass of the world. Uh, Roy has uh, managed to stand back and apply unflinching core clarity to the situation with statements like the World Cup shouldn't be happening in Qatar. Uh, Keane is allowed to do his uh, punditry while still condemning the whole enterprise because that's pretty much what everyone else is doing. Which again is um, a point similar to Joe Bryce. I do think there has been a halo effect on Roy Keane's comments. I mean it's as if nobody has said boo about this World Cup and Roy has pointed out we shouldn't be here or the World Cup shouldn't be here and I think it's been applauded too much
2: Well no I, what I thought was interesting about it and I hadn't until uh, you read out that Brendan O'Connor piece I hadn't seen anyone comparing him to Nelson Mandela or He Matt doesn't dare to be fair no, no I know but that idea like that the moral compass
1: of oh, the world Oh I think, I think he's gone well, viral like, Oh my God Roy Keane know, finally went, it saying went, it It
2: went, went viral but I think one of the reasons it went viral was because he didn't seem to be he didn't seem to be conflicted. He didn't feel seem to feel any need to justify himself being there and also say the World Cup shouldn't be there. And I don't think you need to justify that. I think you can be there because that's where the World Cup is. And it's, it's very and you can equally then say the World Cup shouldn't be here.
1: I think it's viral. Honestly, I think it's viral because it's Roy Keane. I think if Joe Cole had said exactly the same sentence, it wouldn't have gone viral being honest I think there is a well, halo that's, well, effect that's
2: a, yeah well that's uh, that's a different. that is probably part of Keane's charisma yeah, and it's ability. who's saying it not what was saying yeah but but I think it was but I do think he didn't like he didn't try and dress it up in terms of I'm going to be shining a light on, on guitar issues here like I'm going to i you know I will be doing this with great reluctance because but it's important for me to offer my journalistic insight sure. he just said it shouldn't be here and it, was, and it was it was a straightforward yeah. I statement. Think,
3: yeah, I think also he's been doing consistently <coughs> good work as a pundit over the past three years and it's kind of culminated at this World Cup with him having an opinion that people go to first and that's probably why it's getting more prominence. If he had been out of the limelight over the past three years perhaps it wouldn't have taken as much store as it has. So it probably comes down to the fact that he's you know, really well known now because of the amount of work he's put in. So he's essentially gone from working in the office to the CEO, you know.
1: Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I loved when he said it. I mm. thought it was great. But I do think there's been an overreaction as if finally someone has said this about this World Cup. People have <laughs> been saying it for a decade. <laughs> Roy Keane says that we all jump up and down.
2: Not a touch of that, no? Maybe. I'm just trying to think, yeah. I, but I wonder if a lot of them, like, you know, Joe does touch on, like, the Gary Neville comments. And, yeah. like, and you know, and Neville, again, would be the example of somebody... Who uh,
1: there's a hypocrisy at
2: are, the art are, Yeah, and he's trying contract. to kind of justify themselves in some way. Like you get the feeling with Roy that if they said, "Well, uh, there's no, you know, there's nothing happening here for you," He'd be like, "Fine, that's okay." True. Um but and that's, and that is also said,
3: yeah. He just said it shouldn't be here now. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's not profound.
1: No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's wonderfully straightforward, and and that is his great gift, I suppose. Yes. Uh, Paul Rowan is, I guess, an aspect of the uh, any World Cup is punditry wars and who's winning, who's losing, who's up, who's down. He has a piece on Roy Keane, Paul Roan, in The Sunday Times. Can't take our eyes off you. Uh, Roy Keane is last in the course as an ITV pundit at the World Cup and he's still speaking his mind. So um, it's just a piece really about Keane and he is box office and he's always been box office. And he says, uh, Gary Lineker accuses him of playing up to his hard man image, but there's no evidence that Keane is faking it. If anything, he can't help himself, even if it means that his days as a football manager recede even further into the past. Where does he go to from here? Onto I'm a Celebrity, get me out of here if the noise is coming from both the Keane and ITV camps are anything to go by. Like most people, Keane has his price. And uh, Paul Rowan speculates here that a stint on I'm a Celebrity might just propel him to the status of national treasure. And he definitely has the common touch. How would Roy Keane do on I'm a Celebrity, get me out of here?
2: Would he do better? Well, seen as it seems to have rehabilitated Matt Hancock. Has yeah, it? Yeah, that's what I, I, haven't, I haven't watched. I've watched a couple of early episodes or a couple of bits of the early episodes and I haven't watched it since. What's the redeeming aspect of it? Well, apparently happened? he's... I, I, I'm led to believe... I sound like one of these people who watches all of it and then pretends I don't, but uh, I read something
1: yesterday. Just tell us what you thought when you watched it. <laughs> <were> you?
2: <laughs> I read something yesterday, Joe. I haven't, been, I haven't been watching it, as I explained. Yeah. Uh, that said, you know, it, it again, it demonstrates the unbelievable lack of uh, judgment of the British people that they're now seem to have been hoodwinked by by Matt Hancock on um, I'm a Celebrity.
1: So. But do we know, is he a sympathetic figure? Is he charming? He's charming. Is he? Matt Hancock? I'm watching it. Charming.
3: On the show. Yeah. But not in person. Not not once have I wanted to pick up the phone to vote for him. Sure. But on the show, I've seen how he's created these relationships with the different contestants in the show. And Everyone has come to the, we'll call it the confession box, and said, "I didn't, I didn't disagree with him, but he's kind of betting in here, and he's one of the team, and he's, you know, it's set up so that they have to win things for each other to survive or mm. or or eat." Mm. Mac Hancock c- comes back with seven stars, and the lads eat for the evening. He builds a rapport by betting in.
1: Okay, well, look, you don't become a politician of, uh, I was you know, going to say, renown,
3: infamy. infamy yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, You meet any of these people in person, they can charm the socks off you, you know.
3: But if Matt was coming back with dinner every night, you know, and the lads are starving, I can see how they can turn quickly.
1: Look, we've all met politicians and they make you feel like you're the only person in the room and they're well able to do it, so I'm sure he's got certain people skills.
3: But I I think with Roy's position going into I'm a Celebrity, it would genuinely depend on who would be in alongside him and who he could bounce off
1: of. Because Ian Wright, I think, was cranky. The lack of food got to him Mm. from memory. And I think he um,
3: didn't come across as a bubbly,
1: jovial type. Yeah,
3: sure. I I was saying to you both that I once sat in on an interview with Roy and Nicky Bottom, Paul Scholes in Cork years ago, and he sat back and he allowed the lads to tell stories about him and take the piss out of him, essentially, and really enjoyed that. So I wonder the dynamic would have to be Mick Richards going with him to the jungle, you know?
1: See, I think at heart he's a very um, genuinely humble, a certain shyness with the, the steel and mm. the fire, I think I, I honestly th- do think he'd come out as a national treasure. <laughs> I think everybody in the family would love him for different reasons.
3: So Jack Charlton to Ireland, Roy Keane to England, that kind of yeah, yeah, I think
2: yeah, I think you could be right. I wonder about the relentlessness of it. Like I do think with Keane, he likes to be able to just walk away when he's done and decompress. Maybe and
3: they did say yeah. that he didn't speak about the World Cup coming up to the World Cup. And he refused to get involved in any conversations around the human rights piece until the camera was on. Right. So, you know, does that suggest that the relentlessness of three and a half weeks in the jungle would be too much for him?
1: I that love that re- always on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. seriousness, <laughs> by <the
2: way. laughs> <is a> line, <laughs> yeah, Not that I'm doubting
1: Paul Rhodes. Really get into it. How are you doing the challenges? How is he without food?
2: How did we get down this rabbit hole? Yeah, I know.
1: Well. Um, I mean, it, it, listen, I'd watch that.
2: <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, can we talk about the... Uh, what, the tree. Cause I, think, I think it is, like, it, it, there is a good, like, Paul Paul's piece is very good on that, and I do think, like, I found myself, like, I can get ITV through, like, my Skybox with, with a couple of, you know, you, you can't watch it you know, straight. You should make right? the effort to get to it. Make an effort to get it. I, nobody, I can't get it. Right, no. but nobody wants to make an effort to do, what you know, these making an effort like that is, is alien to us these sure. days. But I've actually, I'm doing it, for the build-up anyway you can't rewind bits which is always annoying during a game but right. you can for the build-up now I'm watching ITV and it's far superior to the BBC um, and RTE and one of the reasons I think especially compared to the BBC is as they have to a great degree like last night I watched the build-up to the Argentina game on it and they had Keane Gary Neville and Joe Cole who's very good as a very good analyst yeah But they also just they go for they allow personalities to develop, and they allow relationships to develop. Whereas with the BBC, an awful lot of time you don't know who is going to be on, and they do that very sort of tired thing: we must get somebody on from the country. The country, yeah. Let's get so and so on from because they they'll provide us with some special insight, which they they
1: don't. Did Ian Rush on Wales and Ian Rush just not a natural pundit?
2: No, he's not a natural pundit. He, he, uh, um to digress a bit I saw he like that, that Jurgen Klinsmann comments that uh, enraged Iran and Carlos Quiros was made while Ian Rush was there and one of the tweets I saw said how could the other pundits sit back and allow this to be said and I really thought they were overestimating Ian Rush's abilities to uh, to be on top of these issues.
1: Um, Do you know what I find as well a part of that is and I, I totally agree on having a panel letting them develop a dynamic and relationships. All the best panels are on together yeah. routinely. And people remember, he said that last time, she said that last time. They were wrong. I can't wait to see them pulled up on it now. Or like they had a bit soonest and keen the next time they're on. Yeah, Can't wait to see that again. Whereas this mixing and matching, in my even limited experience, I found if people are not on with each other that often, one, it's hard to have a row in the first place. It's doubly hard to do it on television sometimes. So you're less inclined if you're Ian Rush for instance to turn to Jürgen Klinsmann who you've met for the first time potentially an hour beforehand mm. and spark a row with him and say oh that's you, you shouldn't have said that I think you sit there a bit more politely whereas if they were on 20 more times 30 yeah. more times together you might turn around and go Jürgen it's come on yeah. so I think that's a big aspect of TV is to get people comfortable with each other and and give them a chance to develop a dynamic.
3: I think probably in the RT sense you'll have seen that with Sean Kavanagh and Pat Spillane where where this year particularly they seemed to go at each other and that wouldn't have ordinarily happened because they wouldn't have you know met but they put them together Mm. which is probably a surprise and that they haven't worked on doing the same in the soccer sense Mm. and building those relationships that you talked about.
1: Yeah I do think it's an aspect of it and the Beeb is not doing it for you?
2: Not really, no. Uh, I don't think, um, and not, you know, Alan, Sh- Alan Shearer isn't a pundit. I want to hear much, if anything, from. Um, there's a, a number of them, and I also this is again a little. I'm amazed they don't have a highlights program every evening. This is just my yeah. own little bugbear yeah. that you don't have now. RT do that. RT has to be said. RT coverage is so extensive like it's, it's phenomenal like that they're, they're, they're
1: all they're always there I guess they're stretched yeah. because they do all the games and yeah. BBC and ITV can take the afternoon yeah. off at times
3: the highlights I'm enjoying with RT at night I because it's seen. a good way of yeah it's, between, it's on between 11 and 12 it's a bit late right. but it's good like because you'll just get a yeah. sense of the day as well and, yeah. and so maybe it's the games not the pundits at this point
0: okay. but
3: as it goes on they'll find their feet
0: The Sunday Papers on Off The Ball The Sunday Papers on Off The Ball.
1: Uh, just to wrap up on uh, World Cup business then, as you can imagine, the papers are just a wash with World Cup coverage. I thought Matt Cooper and the Business Post, uh, brilliant angle, couldn't agree more with them, and can't be said enough and in years to come, we will look back at pieces like this and say why wasn't there more of it FIFA's dirty uh, laundry includes a load of blatant World Cup greenwashing so Matt Cooper here on the back page of the Business Post uh, acknowledges there is a sports washing aspect to this World Cup but he says greenwashing should not be overlooked either and he says that there had been a, a promise that this would be a carbon neutral World Cup that there were going to be quote a comprehensive set of initiatives implemented to mitigate the tournament related emissions but uh, it seems, as Matt Cooper says, this is as about, as, about as accurate as fans being told they could drink beer at the matches in Qatar. Not only is this a carbon neutral claim, a blatant falsehood, there are now suggestions that guess what? This tournament may be the biggest single carbon contributor the world has ever experienced outside of war. <laughs> the biggest emitter mm-hmm. of carbon outside of war that the world has ever seen is what this World Cup is. Because I saw Miguel Delaney the other day just tweet, it's like there's, this is like he was out for a run. Yeah. There's like an air-conditioned... He's in an air-conditioned park. route across the desert. And we're all sitting there going, I'm sure that's carbon neutral. So. But if
3: there's no grass in a desert, why would, you know, not assume that it could be possibly carbon neutral?
1: Well, I'm coming to the grass. Don't worry. Thank you. So, um... (laughs) The common estimate had been that this tournament would contribute 3.5 million tonnes of carbon. However, however, there's a smart person at the University of England who says the true number now is 10 million tonnes as opposed to 3.5. It's now 10 million. And the biggest offenders are the so-called energy efficient stadiums, um, which are rarely at capacity as well. On the grass point, Matt Cooper says it gets worse. Grass seeds were flown in from North America on climate controlled planes to allow for the construction of the pitches eight stadiums 136 practice fields Uh, they're doused with 10,000 litres of desalinated water every day in winter in summer it's five times that amount that's 136 practice fields all the pitches as well and obviously all the flights in as well Qatar has boasted 1300 airline flights to and from the country during the World Cup so take no notice, he concludes, of whatever environmental claims FIFA makes about this tournament. So again, the biggest carbon emitting event outside of war in the history of the planet.
2: Well, we shouldn't be surprised because I was just jogging my memory when you talked about the grass seeds there. Where do, uh, where do the cows in Qatar come from, Joe? Uh,
1: do they have many cows? They do. I don't know.
2: Australia. They? They imported their cows from Qatar or from Australia when there was uh, during the blockade with Saudi Arabia. Oh, over the last five, six yeah. years, yeah. They brought in, they flew in all their cows. I do, so, I do. They, you know, we're trying to reduce our national herd. They, they imported yeah. their national herd.
1: I do think increasingly this is going to have to be a conversation around sport because the carbon footprint is astronomical with sport. And even all these tournaments where you're flying here and flying there. It's down. crazy. And the URC, even this year, when they brought in all the South African teams. I mean, I did feel like in idiot almost saying it on Monday Night Rugby but I, I did raise it with, I can't remember who the pundit was. The carbon footprint here is nothing to be feeling good about, no? Well,
2: Formula One is, well, a, is yeah. a, a great example. And all but all could have
3: started at a point where the stadiums were already there and grass was already there and that would have been as good a start as any. But, but, but
2: they would have had to start somewhere else.
3: But, and, and this is the other point. I, I didn't realise that Qatar had only three mil, or, you know, million people mm. in, in the country, yeah, which is Birmingham it, is bigger in size. Yeah. You know what but I there, mean?
2: There's nothing sus- like, there is it's nothing sustainable, sustainable about yeah, this World Cup. Exactly. The stadiums
1: are never going to be yeah.
2: used again. They're
1: Some barely like, being used at the moment. Like
2: I, heard, I heard a story of somebody who was, who was uh, trying to build a hotel in Qatar for the World Cup. And whatever way the timelines was, it just turned out it couldn't get done for the World Cup. So Qatar were like, well, then we we don't want it. Right. Because these are being built for the World Cup. And if you, you know, and then the hotels, stadiums, they will all just sit there empty. Okay,
3: I think it's moved on from the kind of the alcohol piece now and back to the carbon footprint piece. Um, But with Ian Herbert today, Mm. um, he says, he was in a coffee shop and with the locals and he says the alcohol you know was a sensitive topic but he said they said we don't change our culture for 28 days the people said no and the Emir knew it how because he speaks to all men it is like the relationships of fathers and ch- and child um I, I think what he was saying there was you know this was no surprise that Qatar was going to kind of bed down in this area but everyone just ignored it yeah. like they've ignored the carbon footprint piece yeah.
1: His, um, Ian Herbert's piece is—it's one of the few across the Sunday papers. That's the last World Cup piece we'll um, talk about. It's one of the few that's almost a, a letter from Qatar. <laughs> Here's what yeah. it's like out here, which I think there's definitely a place for it when it's somewhere like Qatar as opposed to letter from France. Well, or, it's, or, it's or I think there's more than a place
2: paper. for it. I'm amazed there isn't more of it, the yeah. more of it because I, I do think that there is a degree of the coverage. You know, we we talked about it here, but how much of this coverage would you be talking about? No, if if we weren't in here to talk about about papers, because most of the content that feels
1: like a leading question, there <laughs> rhetorical.
2: Well, I just well, I'm just wondering because you know I spend, I listen to, I I watch the matches, yeah. I listen to a, a number of podcasts, yeah, and then I'm like, well, how how much more am I going to get from an awful lot of the stuff that you're? There's a cu- couple of people I will. I will read, like, you, you know, Miguel Delaney has written an awful lot of stuff that's useful and insightful. Ken Early is very good on, on stuff in the Irish Times. And this is the kind of piece, the Ian Herbert piece, then, as well, that yeah. you kind of get. But it's it, a lot of it, like, you know, you, you talked about, you ran through the back pages at the beginning, and it's England, 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 and stuff. It's like, lads,
1: <laughs> I don't want to be that but
2: This is all the same story.
1: Yeah. You know, and, and, it, and it's and it's, and it's all, and it was all Alan Shearer says they should rest Harry Kane. For yeah,
2: and it's again. like Phil Foden. To
1: be fair, the Luke Shaw line was explosive.
2: And <laughs> well, somebody had to somebody <laughs> yeah, had to ask nice? somebody had to ask Luke Shaw what he thought about. <laughs> unless Luke Shaw just brought that up, yeah. which I would be surprised. Uh, be surprised. No, I take here. your point. I take your And point. I think you're right. Like this stuff, the Ian Herbert piece, the insight into yes. what it's what it's like yeah. there is the stuff you, you want. I think so too.
1: Like I heard um, you mentioned Ken earlier. I heard him with. Brendan O'Connor yesterday, and was like the amazing little tidbits. Like, for instance, he was saying that being sports is not to BBC ITV free to air. That it's actually very very expensive oh. to get the games, and so quite a few of the well, not pubs obviously, but I suppose coffee shops and restaurants, or or those few, and they seem to be few and far between. Those few public spaces where people can gather in that in that kind of a climate. Um, aren't even showing the game. So there's times where Qatar are playing opening match or Qatar are playing a game, and there might be people at a coffee shop or a restaurant, or where the, there might be a TV. Oblivious. And they're showing a rerun of Judge Judy or whatever they show, mm. it's because being in sports are charging money. So even yeah. that, it's, that, but I thought that was fascinating, and maybe more of that would be be good to give you Ian Herbert sense. Well, the headline is the Plastic World Cup, so he uh, is not a fan of the experience of week one. Like, he starts by mentioning, I think you mentioned the Maradona jersey had been bought for £7 and so he decided to pay £23 sterling to go and see the Maradona number 10 jersey from the 86 World Cup. But apparently, the only way you could get into the exhibit was via a bus. The bus had broken down, and there was zero flexibility in terms of letting the other 20 people who had queued up, including, by the way, somebody, he says, a fan in a replica Ireland shirt was there who turned to him and said, "You spent 200 billion on a tournament and you can't let us walk in to see a shirt. What kind of planet are you on?" <laughs> so uh, good that we, uh, we're still there. We're. Representing. We're, 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 we're moaning. <laughs> As for the other um, takeaways from the World Cup, he just it, it's, a, it's a grim picture he paints, you know? He, he talks about official attendance figures are just one of the fictions exploded by the deserted concourses before Wales, ran on Friday and the empty seats at Portugal, Ghana. Uh, they have thrown migrant workers at everything. He said they sit in uniforms, they water the grass on, on places where no one walks. They stand in turquoise event team tops with huge foam fingers and megaphones blasting out pre-recorded messages. Metro this way from morning to night, often when no one is there, which is like a chilling picture. He says in uh, a cricket stadium, at Asian Town, there's an entertainment and retail complex built for immigrant workers. There's a FIFA fan zone for the people who've actually built this infrastructure, whose salaries do not remotely stretch to buying a ticket. Signs in the street in Arabic and English state, thanks for your contributions, for delivering the best FIFA World Cup ever. He says the food stalls were open. Music was playing yesterday lunchtime for a midday start. The place was completely empty. There's lots of scenes here, just places mm. being empty. The places where fans are arriving seem an afterthought. We're a quarter of the way through a tournament and yet a quarter of the steel accommodation huts at a site called Free Zone have yet to be built. And there's lines about how accommodation in lots of places hasn't been finished. And he talks as well about like there's a coffee shop where no one's going in to buy the coffee or the three pound buns. It's not on the walk from the trains to the stadium, so it's never been uh, good for us as a staff member. We'll be gone in four months. So all in all, uh, joyless, no sense of like, you know, public spaces being the heartbeat of a tournament, that they're coming alive in any way. And we're a week in and it's been grim. And actually, you know, week one and two from a fan perspective is the most fun because everybody's there. It should be, Doha should be a melting pot of people having a good time.
2: Yeah, but the reality about it is that that is really not a a big consideration for FIFA when they when they decide who's going to host a world cup anyway well, clearly not certainly not in this instance no. like it is is designed we, we know what, what the Qatar world cup was designed to do we've seen how you know the, the executive committee have voted for it, what's been revealed about them since but also it is designed to pr- you know they don't care about what the experience of people on the ground is because it's not their experience and then the thing you do notice over over the especially in recent World Cups is that they are packaged for television yeah. in ide- the exact same way every stadium you look at here and they're probably even more so in Qatar because the stadiums have been built for the tournament but they're they're, they're you know there's very little. Uh, identity to them there's very little sense you know you're watching mm. the backdrop is the same wherever you are I feel the cameras are at precisely, precisely the same height sa- yeah. same which distance what, from the pitch Yeah, which is a requirement which <laughs> FIFA will be you know they'll have all these things as a requirement so that there is a uniformity mm. about the presentation and the uniformity then stretches from 2018 to 2022 and that is something that's the stuff that matters to them they don't care like you know anyone I talk to who's there is finding it they, as you know, oppressive, th- oppressive and just uh, not an enjoyable experience. But again, people will say, Well, in most, in most circumstances, if you were saying, Oh, I know journalists are out there and they're not enjoying, they'd say, Well, aren't you lucky to be there? This may be one more couple of people saying, Well, that's interesting rather than stop moaning.
3: But I think FIFA are saved by goals like Richardson's goal, which sure. just. It, all of the noise is is, is stifled yeah. and and smothered by safe, that goal. Yeah,
2: But they're also safe by the fact that most people aren't again are, are watching it on television for the spectacle, and the the stuff whether it's messy whether it's Messi's links to Saudi Arabia, all this stuff isn't really for a huge amount of people who are watching it on television. Um,
3: uh, uh, much of an issue or a consideration, or a consideration. Not necessarily not an issue but no not an issue At a
2: consideration yeah and, we, and we're all guilty of that yeah, we're, all, of we're all we're all d- d- like we, we came but in you here with
1: gorging on the thing like I'm no gor- have go you seen your go. family the last week <laughs> 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 they
2: come and watch <laughs> some of the matches with me. No?
3: I, w- I would say look you know I'm 9 to 5 I was saying to you that the office we have it's set up I was in a meeting last week I was saying to Dion uh, the Germans are obviously playing and I happened to be in a meeting with a couple of Germans and we had a break Japan scored the goal I went back in and I said it's not good news lads you know and I was just getting a, a brief reprieve from three hours of meetings yeah. and that's what I'm looking for sure. I, you know I wasn't considering the issues at that point Ooh. I was just took a breath of air so
1: it's, and that's totally fair as well yeah. you know it's yeah. a very natural thing uh, it, that's what sport's supposed to be Yeah. Uh, we'll take a very short break we're going to finish off the paper review uh, Rory McElroy up close and personal with Paul Kimmage uh, on the way in just one second still by the way nil all between Belgium and Morocco Morocco did score but it was ruled out just before half time
0: The Sunday Papers on Off The Ball The Sunday Papers on Off The Ball
1: You're very welcome back so uh, final thoughts on the Sunday Paper review here Dion Fanning Sarah Donovan alongside me in studio Paul Kimmage once again has sat down with Roy McIlroy they've done this twice previously so this is uh, number three now and it's a two-parter so we'll get part two obviously next week Being Rory is the headline pages two to seven and it covers a whole host of areas generally the rule applies that if you see yourself in transcript form (laughs) you don't come across brilliantly and Michael McCarthy and I are feeling that acutely this morning so uh, there's a point early on. Give where, us
2: some context. Yeah.
1: yeah. There's always this chilling moment where you're like, what's why is my name there? Oh, no. Ooh." So the, the, this is after Rory recently, I think just a couple of weeks ago, called for Greg Norman to effectively exit stage left was his choice of words. Like he needs to be sacked, um, which was kind of a strong thing to say. I think Greg needs to go. This is early on in the piece. And. His comments went viral, writes Paul Kimmich. They were played that night by Joe Malloy, Michael McCarthy and Newstalk's off the ball. Here's what happened next. And I don't know. We were obviously quite excited. Malloy. Oh my God. McCarthy. That's amazing. Malloy. He drove over and reversed back over him and drove over him a few more times. And we go on like that for what feels like an interminable <laughs> amount of time. Uh, he's not wrong, says McCarthy. I just can't believe he said it, said me. McCarthy. Yeah, he's probably a bit more so in the past, but go Rory. And Paul says there was a split second pause before McCarthy went again. God, I love, love 2022 Rory McIlroy. He's the best character in sport. So um, we've mastered there, I think, in the news round, the art of sounding gormless. Um, Really, really love that. (laughs) Uh, These things happen, I suppose.
3: Well, Uh, I think the last point where he says, God, I love, love 22 Rory McIlroy is probably the reason why we're being treated to a third interview between Paul Kimmage yeah, uh, and Rory McIlroy. I
1: think it's, and I, I think, Dion, you said it does set up. Twenty twenty two has been an extraordinary year in McIlroy's life, so I think that's going to be the focus of part two, and so mm. it's it's almost just a little. We're going to come back to yeah. this extraordinary year in part two, but. uh I almost want to just to insert. Malloy and McCarthy said afterwards, these are not their complete <laughs> thoughts. Yeah. Malloy went situation. home and
2: <laughs> wrote a 3,000 word uh, essay. On, on Did
1: you just say, on oh, my God, way. repeatedly. My God, yeah. my God. <laughs> I can't believe it.
2: Transcript for... Is, is available yeah. where you can read further yeah. more
1: in-depth thoughts. Especially in the midst of, like, Kimage's brilliant prose. It doesn't... Uh,
3: almost like uh, Luke Shaw, you might say.
1: <laughs> I mean, who am I to trample on Luke Shaw? So, then we get into some uh, fascinating... Uh, areas, I suppose. So this is a brief overview and then I'm very curious to see what jumped out to you guys. And as ever, with the piece this long, you have to read it really to appreciate it. But he's talking about uh, his general personality, where he is in his life at this stage. And he just say at one point that his dad is so personable with people. He says, the one thing my dad does better than I do is small talk. I'm sure his dad is like, the one thing. But anyway, we'll let that slide. And Paul Kimmage uh, says that he's maybe a bit more like his mother. Because he was recalling saying hi to Rosie and Paul Kimmy just says, I could sense her reserve straight away. Do not disturb. And McElroy says, yeah, my mum sits back, observes, tries to scope everything out. She's definitely a better judge of character than me or my dad, which is a very interesting line. And uh, when she trusts you, she is fiercely loyal and protective. And Paul says, I get the same vibe from Erica, who was McElroy's wife. And he says, yeah, same thing. And he notes, and this must be a strange existence even for Erica, we'll walk into a room together. People will strike up a conversation with her, but they want to get to me. And she sees it and she understands it. And for someone in my position to have two women around me like that is great. The pests, as uh, Sean O'Flaherty, his agent calls them, uh, his manager. And Rory laughs and says, yeah, there are plenty of those. And I'll bet there are. And they go on. They talk about he lives in Florida now and his neighbours are Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods and Joe Namath. This is the (laughs) company he's in. And... uh, McElroy says a very interesting thing, I think, and uh, an insightful thing about fame. And he's talking about those guys and they're of, you know, incredible status and stature. And he says, what makes those guys so successful is they didn't get caught up in it, as in the hype. They just did their thing. One thing I've realised is that you don't create an aura or a status yourself. Other people do that for you. And narrative starts to build. People think differently of you. And that's the way it seems to me. And I think that's probably quite true. So they go on and they talk about the Open, where McIlroy finished second to Cam Smith. And he talks about the whole experience of the crowd being almost viscerally in support of him. And he talked about almost trying to block that out, to stay away from that during the tournament. Talked about the night before going out as leader. How did you sleep? Better then I thought I would the suite was at the front but our bedroom was tucked in behind it was a dark room it was lovely being able to leave the windows open at night and get the fresh air in I woke up barely had breakfast with Poppy at 7 tried to take a nap that's usually my routine when tea times are late but that nap I couldn't sleep I was just lying there with my eyes shut and uh, he's um, very honest with himself about the open loss where Cam Smith came from behind and won brilliantly and that day McElroy I think you know it's the big regret I suspect of his year he just didn't grab it enough and Paul Kimmage mentioned speaking to Harrington. He said Victor Hovland was the undoing because uh, McElroy played with Hovland and McElroy says because he didn't play well, Paul Kimmage says because you had him covered. Harrington said if you been playing with Cam Smith, you would have been, it would have been different, you know, that you would have, I suppose, have to respond to Cam Smith's charge. And McElroy says, and I think he's absolutely right here, it's all hindsight. I feel that passing the blame onto someone else uh, is, is, you know, would be the Hovland theory. For me, it's very simple. There were four up and downs that I didn't get. That was the difference between winning the Claret Jug, not winning it. And he talked about the aftermath, which was fascinating. I went back to the hotel. Erica's parents were there and I'd just put Poppy to bed. There were more hugs, more tears. I didn't see my parents until the next morning. Paul says, I saw them that night in the hotel restaurant. Rory, yeah, there were a lot of people up there that I knew, but I couldn't face it. I just couldn't. I wanted to crawl into a hole. We stayed in the hotel room, that's him and Erica, ordered some food, a bottle of wine. What did you talk about? I'm sure there was a bit of I don't feel like I did much wrong, because at that point you you start to think about things. I could have got up and down on three, should have made birdie on nine, should have made birdie on twelve. You know all the SH one T Erica just doesn't want to hear. But I give her credit for sitting there listening to it. I'm sure we tried to watch something on TV to get away from it. That's a tough night. It's a shit night. Did you sleep? I got to sleep quickly. I think the outpouring of emotion coupled with a couple of glasses of red wine knocked me out. But I woke at three or four in the morning and that was it. You're just lying there wide awake and thinking about it all over again. When did you see your parents next morning before we headed off? It's funny. I'm always okay with my dad. But when I see my mum, I'm like, wow, floods of tears. If you're a golf fan, you'll be super interested in that period where McElroy tried to chase Bryson DeChambeau's length. Mm. And right through that period when I wasn't saying things like, oh, my God, Uh, and we were talking about Rory, this period confused me. No end. So what happened here, if you're not a golf fan, is that Bryson DeChambeau won the US Open by being slightly wild off the tee, but super long. And that shouldn't happen at a US Open. And this was a moment for McElroy where he thought, maybe I need to do that. And it was just a grave mistake. And he elaborates on that. So... Kimmage says after Deshambo wins the US Open in that fashion, now he's in your head. Rory, yeah. Might have been a touch of an ego thing. There was a part of me that thought, well, I can do that too. And I started messing around. This was in September 2020. And initially, he says, he started getting distance. I was 30, 40 yards longer than my partner's. You start feeling good about yourself. What you don't realise, though, is your swing is deteriorating. Paul says, was Harry saying that to you? Was he trying to, you know, steer you away from it? Rory says, Harry is his own way. He'll never disagree with me, but he'll be like, maybe we should go and practice our wedges or our pudding, you know. Masters has played that November in 2020. He was careful. He was tentative, as he often is. And uh, Jimmy Dunn, who's a businessman, uh, who is in the McIlroy circle, said it to him after the first round. Why are you being so careful? And McElroy went out and played much better, but he was too far back at that stage. And it's interesting with Rory. He's very much in charge of his game, of his circle, um, best friend, Harry, on the bag, people he's very comfortable with around him. And he doesn't take advice easily. And so it seems when Jimmy Dunne said that, McElroy's response was, I can take it from someone like Jimmy because he's outside the circle and I'll take it when it's inside the circle, but I'd have a much easier time telling Sean to F off than I would Jimmy Dunn. I don't have to listen to it or accept it, but I'll at least let him say it. But I think through the back end of 2020, I was just a bit lost with my game. I'd let my swing get into a place where it was unpredictable. And then 2021, finally, because I presume part two will be about 2022 in more depth. It, he expresses huge regret over Michael Bannon being his coach since he was four, five, six territory. And he moved to Peak Cowan across 2021 because his game wasn't such a bad place. And he feels terrible because uh, it, it crept out before he could tell Michael Bannon pers- personally. He said I felt quite ashamed about it and it was uh, a shite thing to do is what he says. Kimmich says, you're not a shy person. That's not your nature. And he says, yeah, but how how does it happen? And McElroy said, well, it was a feeling of shame. I I felt ashamed I was going down this other route with Pete Cowan. Didn't want to confront that part of it. And so he basically, um, he says, I didn't have the balls to ring Michael and say, look, this is what I'm doing. And uh, he said it was a weird period and things are abysmal then. And he talks at length about 2021, like he remembers going to Kiowa where he had won the USPGA in 2012 brilliantly and he, he rocked up in in 2012 he had won it brilliantly he rocked up in 2021 this is the the tournament Phil Mickelson uh, won the major he won to jog your memory and he remembers turning to Harry and saying wow I don't remember this course being so hard which Paul Kimmage says that's a lightbulb moment and Roy says yeah why is it so much more difficult he says I bunted it around I finished 40th And then he talks about just this bad year of bad play. And um, it culminated in those tears at the Ryder Cup where he was dropped for the Saturday morning. And if if you're a casual golf fan and you want to remind yourself how badly Rory was playing in 2021, watch his opening couple of holes on the Friday of the Ryder Cup, which were chronic. And I remember just thinking I I was so worried he was finished around then. And it got to the point. I remember tweeting that evening he's going to have to be dropped. And he was dropped for Saturday. And Paul says to him, you're dropped on Saturday morning for the first time ever. Yeah. Who told you? Porig, as in Harrington. One-on-one, yeah. How did you feel? Honestly, probably relieved. I was relieved I didn't have to go back out and lose another match. And uh, that's, I guess, a a broad summary of McIlroy with Kimmich. So I'm curious, you two, super big golf fans, not golf fans, Rory fans, not Rory fans, what did you take from this whole thing
3: you can go first
1: yeah it's great to have something like this by the way in the papers it's
2: fantastic i i uh i would consider myself a a big mcelroy fan in in i've always admired his intelligence and that ability he has to slightly remove himself from the fray and to be an observer in what is going on you know we and uh, i think it's funny like <clears throat> not to go back to your exchange with, with Mick at the beginning but like If it was too complex I can explain <laughs> what we were trying to get I just need some <laughs> clarification on a couple no, of I this. understand there's probably some uh, big words in there that
1: you need to <laughs> double check
2: But when Mick says I love 2022 Rory McIlroy is that in contrast to how people have felt about Rory McIlroy in the past because I think Ireland uh, you know there has been an ambivalence about certain aspects of Rory McIlroy going back to the Olympics and things like that yeah. which I think have gone now but I always admired His ability just to kind of be who he was and to understand who he was in all those contexts, too. He's always been headstrong. He's he's always been. But also, there's an an underlying intelligence. Yeah, for sure. And I think maybe maybe there's almost too much intelligence there at times to be a sports person. to be a sports person uh, to do everything that a sports person really has to do in terms of because I think with Rory there's a line I may have used on this before there's a line in uh, a Philip Roth book about a character it's in American Pastoral and there's a sports person character and they say about him that he had no need for irony, irony was a hitch in his swing, he's a baseball player And and McElroy I think has a sense of irony And he has a sense of, and you know, when he talks about his aura aura and that stuff, he has an awareness of what is actually happening here. Whereas other people think they have an aura. Think they have an aura. Yeah. Ronaldo Mm. thinks he has an aura. Um, And maybe that is why Ronaldo is able to kind of do the things Ronaldo has done. And at times, uh, McElroy is an uh, astonishingly successful Mm. golfer. But you know when when you again look at what what was sometimes expected of him, I think he has taken a slightly different road, and part of it is because of that little bit of distance he has mm. um so I'm a huge fan of of him in that sense, like the golf aspect of this interview to me is i was wait, i would like this I, I feel simultaneously about this piece today that it is it's too long and too short. Mm. I want all the rest of it. I don't understand why we can't have the whole thing now, right? Like maybe that's just because I want instant gratification. But I want. It's starting to sound like it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's it, it was an, you know, without getting into kind of stuff about digital and newspapers and stuff like this. I would also like you know if this was a digital only situation thing, would you put it all on, online today? You you might do because there's nothing really to be gained by saying come back and read the second part next week when when, as you said, the opening of today's seems to be teeing up what's going to come next next week. Now, if you're trying to sell newspapers, you might think people are going to come back and read read the second part. I would also I would have printed the, I would have printed, the, like, it's what's this seven pages, make it fourteen pages. <laughs> you know, just go the whole lot. Like, you know, uh we talked about the World Cup coverage. There's a lot of stuff you don't need. Mm. You know, this is what I think a Sunday newspaper should be doing now. Mm. Just go the put the whole lot out there and let us read it in, in one go. Because I, I want to get... Like, I know maybe I'm demonstrating why it's not being done because you you'll go back and read it next week. But... Yes, I w-
1: I feel what you have just said is going to be used at a board meeting. That like, look how we suck this <laughs> guy. Like we got them. This guy will be well. Yeah,
2: but I I also have the memory of a goldfish, so I might have I might have no, forgotten about won't. it by next week. But what I'm saying is, I feel there's a, like I I got to the end of it and was like,
0: actually I, I want now. I want, yeah, I want sure.
2: some more. Now maybe that's a good thing, but I just felt it could it could, it could it could be there now. But equally, the stuff that's here, especially.
1: You like the stuff about his personality.
2: I like the stuff about his personality. I like stuff about his his similarities to his like you quoted a little bit of the stuff about his his father's personality, his mother's personality, but there's a line there which uh and it's, it is actually a bit Roy Keane-like as well, you know, when you talk about the small talk and he says his father can walk into a room of people and just start a conversation. How are you doing? The weather's good. And I'm all for that too and giving people time, but not to the detriment of yourself. I sometimes, I sometimes think, well, that's a waste of time. Why even have that conversation? Yeah. And I think anyone who struggles with small talk would be like, yeah, that's uh, 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 that's true. And it's also just an interesting insight into how he knows himself.
1: Yes. For sure. Uh, I thought what an interesting insight into his wife's existence yeah. where there were people cozying up to her and she knows you're not even... Bad enough, Rory knowing you're not really interested in me, the person, you're interested in me, the brand and the concept. How even worse to be one removed from that? You're not even interested in me. You, you're not even interested in my husband, really. You're just using me to get to him, the brand. You're like several layers removed from uh, being interested in any of us. Uh, she must see them coming a mile away. She
3: does. And I think, you know, he speaks here about, well Paul Kimmage speaks here about seeing her standing back at the 18th after his loss to camp. He says I was watching Erica as you walked from the 18th, she followed from a distance as you were doing the interviews, she stood back so you wouldn't see her. She waited, she waited, she knew what he needed and she always knows what he needs evidently and you know he sits into the golf cart and and he cries on her shoulder and you know I suppose that's what a relationship is and you know it's lovely to know for him that he has those relationships in his life where he gets absolute honesty Mm. but he also feels protected because outside of Erica I liked that after the loss Paul Kimmage asks him you know what did people say to you what did the inside circle say And, and Harry says to him Rory you keep doing this and you're going to win your majors. There wasn't negativity there. He knew he didn't need it. His dad says he was all positivity and praise that morning. Great week, Rory. You're going to have plenty more chances. Keep playing the way you're playing. What does your mother say? You know, it's constantly like, is there any negativity? She says, don't beat yourself up over this. Go and enjoy some time with your family. And then he says, my dad took on three jobs. My mum worked night shifts. They were doing what they had to do to support their son and never complained or moaned. And Paul Kimmich just says, there's a less than there. And he says, yeah, just get on with it. Mm. And I think that's 2022 Rory. Yeah. Let's not wallow.
1: Yeah. And like 20, I mean, again, for casual golf fans, 2022 Rory has blossomed into the player that he should be Mm. consistent. um, There, thereabouts in all the majors. Yeah. The Open got away from him and he'll have a lot of regrets about that. But he's so complete now as a golfer even Paul McGinley has said he's a more complete golfer now than he was in 2012 and 14 where it was like these flashes of inspiration and brilliance he's now like a proper professional
2: but is that is that the is that what 2022 Rory McIlroy is about yeah is it not to do with live golf it's both but
1: it's both because that's to me that's the thing that is it's live golf but for me I remember yeah the live golf stuff is fine and it's, it's it's admirable but it's also like you know um he's not the only one, he's become the de facto leader, to be fair, of almost the PGA Tour when it comes to speaking out against it. But for me, 2022, if you were to say to me, well, what will you remember of Rory's 2022? It's that he finally became the player that he promised to be for the several years before that. And he that like he's been great for many of the years before that. And, and, you know, he's won FedEx Cups and European Order of Merits and um, competed, obviously. But there was just an inconsistency to his game which was frustrating and then particularly 2020 when he started De Sh- following Shambo, and the whole thing went to pot across the subsequent 12 months. It was really worrying. Like he he does quote a line, uh, Paul Kimmage quotes a line of his agent uh, Sean, that mm-hmm. McElroy turned to Sean after the open that Morikawa won and, and it was to the effect that maybe I'm actually just, maybe I'm not as good as these guys anymore. Maybe they've all, mm. they're all better, the younger guys and, and maybe this is just where I am now and it was starting to look like that which seemed impossible, like it was an impossible thought, five, six, seven, eight years ago, that Roy McIlroy's best game would not be the best, you know, better than anyone's. But it was starting. You were starting to think, well, maybe he's just, maybe he's had his golden period, and that was so shocking for a guy McIlroy's age. But he has come out over the last eighteen months and just been like sensational.
3: But what so I love, yeah, is Shane McIlroy. Sh- Shane McIlroy obviously did that line where he says,
1: "Larry, yeah, yeah,
3: Shane, Shane Larry, sorry," and he says. Uh, you just need to remember who you are. You're Rory McIlroy. You're one of the greatest players of all time, and you're not even close to being finished yet.
1: That was at the Ryder Cup.
3: Yeah, and it was a
1: worry he was finished. You know, there was.
3: But isn't it lovely that he remembers that? Yeah. And he says, "I need reminders." Yeah. Because he said, "You know, I know I have the talent." Yeah. But he said, "I also want people to know I I work hard." You know, he wants he wants people to know how hard he works.
2: Yeah. But it's also interesting that he does say about that when he was dropped that he felt relieved. yeah oh. Which um, is a kind of an extraordinary thing for anyone to say, too. And again, it's, it's a, another example of that kind of honesty. Like Ronan
3: Garo honesty. It's like, yeah. I don't want to take that kick if we're six up, yeah. you know, if we get. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. he's transformed his wedge play, his putting, all these things that were letting him down. Mm. I don't know how he's managed to do it so brilliantly.
2: I'm interested that you think, like, because I, I do, as somebody who uh, isn't as absorbed by golf, as sure. you, Joe, like I would see the twenty twenty two story being as much live. about about oh, live. as it is. I,
1: I find I'm just a bit tired of the live stuff, right? I've, I've, on Golf Weekly, we've talked about it every okay. week for like.
2: So um, you're like now minutes. you're like you're like me now, just watching Messi going. Just, yeah. let's just enjoy the football. Just enjoy the football. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. I I think I no. I take the point, and live for sure has been to the fore. I think it's just because McElroy is such an important golfer that yeah. the notion that at thirty two, thirty three he might, be, might have been done was shocking. Yeah, no, I get that. And so that he has come back and come back better than ever has been, like, incredible. But the live stuff for sure is all the headlines. So, but it's also, yeah.
2: the, again, is we, like we talked about it with Keane and, like, why does Keane get the headlines? Because he is able to articulate a point of view very simply and with, with great clarity. Mm. It's probably why he's... And because it's, it's Rory McElroy too, but those... That 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 ability to do that yeah. means he has become such a such a figurehead for the for the anti live
1: sure um,
2: kind of movement, if he, you like.
1: He's fond of a change of mind, though, Rory, as well, and it you know like it, it contradicts himself six hmm. months after. The
2: Fine, that's months. grand. Like <laughs> that's we always oh, interesting. Yeah, like I think that's you know we, we that's again that's the uh, what's Eamon Dunphy's line? He likes the consistency as a hobgoblin of. Tiny minds, like like he he can contradict himself. Yeah, that's yeah. that's grand. He's evolving. He's thinking. Yeah, and he's it's thinking, good. and that's the thing that comes across in this, mm. in all the stuff, is just that sense of, again, maybe at times too much. Like you know, when he's getting when you know, Deschampsbo is getting into his head. Like he's always I thinking, know. always thinking.
1: Because the scary thing with golf is he, he talked at one stage about how he veered off the path and maybe didn't leave himself enough breadcrumbs to get back mm. to his brilliance. Golf is a sport where you can go down a a wrong, you can take a wrong turn and you mightn't find your way back. Thankfully he has. Because
3: he talks about that I don't want, I need to train, I should have taken two months off, I played too much, you played too little. He's constantly second guessing himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Calibration. Um, Part two next week, Dion Fanning will be at his local news agent at (laughs) 9am, sure. Uh, Guys, we're so out of time. My apologies, we've gone late, but Dion Fanning of The Currency, Sarah Donovan, All-Ireland Camogie winner. Thank you both very much for coming in. Appreciate it.
0: The Sunday Papers on Off the Ball.